Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. And have you ever wanted to host a podcast yourself or be a radio star? Or have you ever had to make a sales presentation or a PowerPoint presentation? Any kind of thing where you've had to do some public speaking? Have you ever had to uh, to speak at a banquet? Whatever. Well, you're going to enjoy my guest this week. Valerie Geller is my guest. And she is a radio station consultant. She consults NPR stations, uh, stations around the world, literally. I mean, all over the world. She's forever traveling. And she also coaches voice talent. And so I thought we would talk a lot today about what it takes to host a podcast or a radio show, uh, what it takes to be an effective speaker. It's actually going to be a very, very informative and fun talk. And we sat down a couple of weeks ago and chatted. So meet Valerie Geller. Well, first of all, I'm so honored that you're actually here today because I follow you on Facebook and like Tuesday you're in Stockholm and Wednesday you're in Beijing and Friday you're in Omaha. I hope you have global assist to get back into the country. How often do you travel? I travel a lot. And in fact, you know, I feel like sometimes I live my life in the airport, you know, it's, yeah. just, it's crazy. And, you know, there was that movie, if it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium mm-hmm. years ago. And mm-hmm. I sort of feel like that, like you have to wake up in the morning and go, where am I? But the work is so important to me, and you have to really go to where the work is. Yeah, I was going to say, you never heard of Skype? Because you can can listen to all these radio stations online, and, uh, you know, you can... You can just well, Skype them. What time zone do you think you're in right now? Today, we're in California. Okay. We're on the West Coast. <laughs> so you've been doing this for quite some time. Yeah. You've been going around consulting radio stations. And also, you've been coaching talent. And I shouldn't be doing this because I'm giving tips here to my other podcast rivals. But um, a lot of the points that you make, to radio broadcasters also applies to podcasters or if you have your own YouTube channel or if you have to give a sales presentation or PowerPoint or something like that. Now, you make the point, actually it's three points, that talent should 
tell the truth, make it matter, and not be boring. So let's expand on that a little. Well, that that's really the work. And people say, well, what's the, the core of the work that you do? And I just always say three things. Tell the truth, make it matter, never be boring. If you can do those three things, nothing else matters because you'll have an audience. And it's true with nonfiction. It's true with fiction. If it's relevant, if it matters to people, if you can make them care, and you know, you'll always have an audience. Okay. Telling the truth is still important. <laughs> I mean, these days. <laughs> Authentic truth. I mean, if, if people who connect with audiences, constituencies, customers, readers, listeners, viewers, they hit some kind of truth. It may not be a truth we agree with. Right. It may not be a truth that's in your or my experience. Okay. But the people connecting feel that it authentically resonates. Okay. There's something there that that person or people are saying that resonates authentically. Okay. So when you say make it matter, essentially you're saying make it interesting to the person that you're communicating to, right? Well, yes and no. I, I think it starts with you. Um, y- there are no boring stories, only boring storytellers. And, you know, to, to steal a line from Werner Erhard from the Est days, interested is interesting, bored is boring. So if you're interested in something, you can a good communicator can make anything interesting. I mean, when you walk into Ken Levine's home, which is also his office right now, you see the entire Dodger baseball team in bobbleheads, and you uh-huh. understand who you are from that. Right, just and some sick 13-year-old. It's your passion, you know, and it, and it allows. And, <laughs> and when you talk about baseball, you're not boring at all. It's your passion. So whether somebody is interested or not, part of the trick of being a powerful communicator is to get somebody to care about a thing they didn't care about one minute ago through your storytelling and the power of your personality and your passion for that, your interest. Yeah, you know, I talk uh, from time to time about Gene Shepard, who was a tremendous commentator and for years had like an hour show every night on WOR in New York. And he would just get on the radio and just talk. And he would talk about you know, moving a piano into his apartment and you'd be spellbound and you'd figure, well, I want to care about some guy moving a piano into his apartment. But just the way he told it, uh, it it really was fascinating. Are there tips to good storytelling? Absolutely. Um, The first one is care about what you're talking about. Uh, If you're bored, it's going to be boring. So if you've told a story a hundred times, and this is the hundred and first, and you're no longer excited about it, maybe tell another story and put that one in a Tupperware on a shelf for a while, and then you can come back to it. Or find a new way to tell it. So when I hire talent, and I work all over the world with radio and TV stations, and we look for talent. And one of the things we we look for when we hire producers, writers, on-air personalities, and news people is can you tell a story or a joke three times, three different ways and keep it interesting all those times? Because the work, 
maybe you're going to deal with stories or subjects that are the same over time. Uh-huh. And how are you going to make that interesting to somebody who heard it this morning and now you're going to do it again tonight? How are you going to do it differently from a different perspective or a different angle and keep the life in that story? And MASH, so, we did the same story 264 times. There you go. Guys <laughs> at war, you know, Basically, that's yeah. it. Medical hospital of war hospital, you know, and it, it, but the thing about it is that through personality, through characters, through, um, authentic self-revelation. People uh, want to connect with people. They want to laugh. They want to have new experiences. They want to be put into worlds that they don't know. They want to be taken on journeys they can't get to on their own. And they also want to be entertained and informed and inspired and sometimes persuaded. Right now we're seeing a lot with an election coming up with people, you know, how do I vote on this or that? And they want to know enough so that they can make up their minds. So I think we have as communicators, our responsibility is to offer that too. Right. Uh, You know, we talk about, you know, dramatic structure, beginning, middle and an end. And that's true when you're just telling a story over a campfire you know, I mean, so many times people will start a story and there'll be a beginning and then nothing and then nothing and then nothing and then nothing. No, <laughs> so they're there. It, yeah. it kind of helps to actually have an ending in mind, doesn't it? Well, and, when and you're you going to tell a story. Right. And you can go back to journalism. You know, who's the who? What's the what? Where's the where? When's the when? Why did it happen? How did it happen? If there's a problem, is there a solution? Who are the characters involved in the story? Are there characters we care about? Are there characters that are familiar to uh, people by their traits. Um, if you saw Crazy Rich Asians, you don't have to be Asian to understand that mother. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, that's true. That's yeah. pretty universal. Yeah, there, there are a lot of universal truths to, to that. You talk about something called change the camera angle when you're trying to tell a story. What does that mean? Tell it from a different perspective, <clears throat> excuse me, or a different angle. So if you're, let's say, for example, and we do this a lot with news workshops, if you're going to cover a fire, the first story might be, and you're going to have the who, what, where, I went, and how in there, but the first story might be an interview with a firefighter. You know, how long did it take to put the fire out? What's the value of the damage? Any firefighters hurt? Uh, how long did it take? You know, you may do the basic right. stuff. How far away are you from my house? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. But then the next one might be interviewing a little kid who they're still looking for the cat. The next one might be somebody who lost all the family photos. And, you know, they're glad to be alive, but, you know, everything they had was in that house. Right. The next one might be talking about get your gas line checked because the fire started because of a gas explosion that hadn't been checked when they smelled gas. So whenever you smell gas, you need to to check that. And that might be yet another angle. Another angle might be a contractor who talks about we'll build them a better house. We'll build them a better house. So over the over the course of days, uh, you might get many stories out of it, and they might be good. Interesting. Um, w- one of my pet peeves when people tell stories is that they go off on tangents and never come back. They'll say, so I was held up at gunpoint yesterday. Uh, I had just come back from the 99-cent store. You know, they're now selling Christmas ornaments there, and they really have good... I used to go to Target, you know, but the parking and we had is so for bad. Lunch. Right, and right, we, right, you right. Know, and it's like, well, what about yeah, yeah, the guy yeah, holding yeah, you the up? Gun, right. <laughs> you know, I find that, that that happens all too often when people are telling a story. 
one time, you know, the listeners will let you know instantly. Uh, for a long time, I, I consulted on a project called Stepping Out, which was a 12-step radio show. And one of the stories was, uh, you know, there's stories of addiction and recovery. And basically, it's like an AA meeting on right. the air. And it w- was supported by AA because it's anonymous. You don't see mm-hmm. the, the faces. And one of the stories was a guy who was uh, sharing, who was a drug addict, had left the baby in the car for four days oh, while he man. was in an apartment getting stoned. And he was so bombed out of his mind, the baby was left in the car. And the interviewer forgot to say, what happened to the baby? <laughs> and if you ever think you have no listeners, we've got thousands of emails and letters from people saying, what happened to the baby? What did happen to the baby? What happened to the baby was uh, social services. Uh, it was oh, reported there was a baby good. in the car and they took the baby to safety. But good. but they failed to you know complete the story right. and tell the audience what happened to the baby. And so here's the guy in recovery, and you know, he of course got a divorce, and he's lost <laughs> custody of his children, you know, and he's trying to get it back. But the story he, he failed to mention, and the interviewer failed to ask. And so it's always good to, when you're telling a story, to think, did I give the payoff? Did I finish the story? Is it complete? And most people don't speak in complete stories. Most people have four or five things working at any given time. And unless you're a very linear person in real life, it's it's almost like multitasking where you have you're you're cooking a meal and you have five pots on the stove and you've got to stir this one and add an ingredient to that one. That's how most people talk. Right. So if you're in the car with friends and somebody is singing along with the radio and then somebody's saying, no, go the other way, make a left turn here, and somebody else is going, did I tell you my Aunt Gloria is in the hospital for appendicitis? So you've got nine things working at any given time, and everybody's sort of following all nine of them. But on air, and when you're storytelling, it's got to sort of go A to B to C to D. Right. You have to be able to track it. <laughs> and there's got to be a payoff. Yeah, there has to Why be a payoff. Why are we listening? In fact, one thing when I'm training, and I do a lot of workshops with communicators, and I train people, and, and the main thing before you say anything, answer the question, here's why you need to listen to this. And if you can answer that, whatever you say next will work. Right. Well, you mentioned how it has to be interesting to you to make it interesting to somebody else. But I'll be honest. I mean, there are people that will will start talking about stuff that's interesting to them. It's like, I couldn't give a shit. It's because they're <laughs> not talented communicators. Huh. They need to improve on their communication. Okay. I think most human beings who are curious and smart have bandwidth and interest in most things if it is presented in a way that is engaging. So, you know, if, if some, you know, somebody could make this desk interesting if they had passion about it. Uh-huh. And I mean, it, it's, it's just one of those things where, where you really want to take somebody who has the ability to tell a story and you want to enhance it. Are you speaking visually? Are you saying it's a beautiful sunset or are you saying it's a tangerine sky? Can the audience close their eyes and visualize what it is you're talking about? And particularly for audio media, we have the imagination So, you know, if we're working in television or you're working, let's say, with film, uh, if you want to talk about a pink elephant uh, that flies, you actually have to paint one and put wings on it and get it up in the sky. But in radio or any audio performance, all you have to do is say, watch the pink elephant. Now he's flying and you've got him. Right. So you don't have to produce one and that's, or, or create one through CGI, which is expensive. So now you just have the imagination, which is magical. I'll never forget one time 
I was doing a, a workshop for producers, and we were talking about how can you write or create more visuals in your content, even if you're working in visual content. The visual is important and matters. And one of the producers, we we gave them an assignment to write one sentence and describe the scene they were looking at. And what had happened was we were at a hotel, but it was a beautiful sunny day, so we went out by the pool. Okay. And all around the pool, there were these men in their 30s, 40s, 50s with their shirts off, oiled up, enjoying the sun, having a beer. All of a sudden, this absolutely gorgeous, I mean, playboy fantasy, tall, blonde, amazing-looking girl with a perfect body, walks out in a bikini, gets onto the diving board, and does a perfect swan dive into that pool. And the producer wrote, 12 middle-aged men sucking in their guts. <laughs> okay, it's, it's that. It's, you can make a movie with your words and then put the listener in that movie, and it becomes very powerful. What about coaching people who think they're funny? Now, the problem with radio is that when you say something funny you never really know if it lands or not because you don't hear the laughter. And there's nothing worse than somebody on the air who thinks he's funny and is not. And I know there's a lot of these zoo morning shows where there are four or five people and they're all laughing hysterically like hyenas over everything any of these idiots say. Um, And it's really tough because it's very subjective. In my sketchy disc jockey days, I had program directors say to me, just shut up. You're not funny. Just play the records. Just shut up. Uh, How do you deal and how do you nurture talent that tries to be funny on the air? Okay. Comedy is gold. When you make a listener laugh, it's literally like handing that audience a chunk of gold. Uh, what happens in the brain when you make somebody laugh is that their brain fills with endorphins and, and serotonin and they feel good. And what happens is the learning centers open up almost triple. So if you remember from school, if you had a funny teacher, you learned that subject better because your brain was more open. Right. Uh, comedians can go to very dark places that you cannot go to in normal conversation because people are laughing and their brains are open in a certain way. When you understand the core value of making a listener laugh, it becomes very vital. Nothing is worse than forced humor. Nothing is better than natural humor. Humor is circumstantial. It can be from a funny story or it can just be from stuff that happens. And part of the gold in training on-air personalities is know when to go with a funny moment. And then you look for people who have a sense of humor and sometimes it's dark. The other thing about humor is that it all doesn't have to work. And in order to hit it, you have to try a bunch of things. Yeah, that's true. And not all the things are going to work. So you have to work with people who understand that 9 out of 10 might not work, but that one that's going to be hit out of the park is going to be fantastic. So when they were saying to me, shut up, you're not funny, they were right? Here's what they were saying. They were saying, you haven't hit it yet, or we haven't heard it yet. When something is funny, it's pretty universal. It's Uh pretty universal when something is funny. It usually hits truth. It's sometimes uncomfortable. It's sometimes awkward. It's sometimes circumstantial. Or sometimes it's just one of those things. And you cannot plan humor. You can't. Stand-up comedians can 
they can rehearse and they can do jokes that have worked before, but nothing beats that spontaneous. I mean, that was the Johnny Carson thing, would the spontaneous thing that would happen right. and he would riff off of it. And he was reactive, so he always had someone in there with him who would throw him the ball and then he could react off of it and that was really his brilliance. Yeah, I know there's a lot of podcasts that have co-hosts and I don't. Uh, I asked Stephen Sondheim. He wasn't available, so I'm going solo. Uh, but for me, the idea of But even Stephen podcast... Sondheim, I don't think is that funny when he's interviewed, but when he can sit down and craft a human life is absurd, right. like a situation where life is absurd. Like Mel Brooks is really funny. Mel Brooks is really funny. By the way, Stephen Sondheim... You know, Carl Sondheim, Reiner I, is know, funny. I, I, I said that jokingly, but... Did you know, and of course this is going to date me, but back in the 50s, a long time ago in the dawn of television, there was a sitcom called Topper. Yeah. Which was about uh, was a guy and he was haunted ghost. by yeah. by ghosts. Stephen Sondheim wrote episodes of Topper. But see, again, you can be funny when you can craft it. Because right. a lot of times with sitcoms and with plays, you're looking for that life is absurd situation. Life isn't fair. Get the bad guy. Um, somebody's crazy. Um, you you want you have like these global themes under these umbrellas, and then you can create situations where the laughter will happen. But it's interesting. Um, Lin Manuel took Hamilton to England. And he was just interviewed and he said that the people in England are laughing at different places than the people in America. Uh-huh. The English audiences are on the floor with the King George stuff. Sure. And the Americans doesn't phase them. They don't laugh at the King George stuff. I did. Okay, but you're <laughs> an educated, yeah, no, smart, but, funny but guy. I, but I know. I mean, that was it. a great character and I could see where... They would certainly relate to that. They're on the a lot floor more than in London. Aaron Burr. That's yeah. it. On the floor in London with the George uh-huh. stuff, and and yet Americans they like it, they laugh, but right. in England they're you know it's it's over the top. So it just also shows you that sometimes it can be familiar, situational, cultural. Uh, I know that I work in uh, thirty eight countries, and humor is the hardest thing. And when I was in Finland. And they speak English, but you miss nuance and you miss humor. So nobody's relaxed because you're just trying to get ideas into people's heads. And and what I'm doing is trying to get them to change how they work. So it's a big ask. It's explaining the need for change, giving them tools and showing them how other people have changed, and then working with their work to help them change. And it's really challenging. And sometimes um, there there is very little humor involved in the process. And finally, I went out with a guy, and, and we had about four people from the radio station, and we were in the car driving to the bar. And he see, he asked me, he says, you, you know, Americans are funny. How come you're not funny? And I said, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. And then we got to the bar. And then after a couple of vodkas, he said, I make joke. That was punchline. Now you laugh. And he actually had to explain to me. But Finnish humor, uh, the thing, there was the, the Finnish joke, and I'm sure you've heard it, um, where the guy is on his deathbed. And the, the the wife says, you know, Lars, you, you never tell me you love me. And he says, I told you the one time when we got married. That's Finnish humor because they're not big communicators. Uh-huh. And by the way, I cannot tell jokes. I'm bad at it. So I appreciate <laughs> it. I appreciate it, but I'm not, I'm not funny. Oh, boy. We're going to have to have some 
<laughs> some Finnish comedians. Come on. <laughs> That'd be great. You talked about uh, uh, interviewing a little bit. What are some tips for being a good interviewer? Well, you already know. It's genuine curiosity. You really want to learn something. And you ask questions based on curiosity. The next part of it is listening, really hearing what people are saying, not just the words, but what they're telling you. And that's part of the hallmark of a great interviewer. What happened to the baby? Yeah. You got it. Yeah. You got it. That's really it. Yeah. Uh, I I know like Larry King, you know, I, I know him a little bit and he was a very good interviewer, but he like would never read books or never did any preparation. And basically that was his philosophy was to just ask the questions that that he would want to ask. Uh, yeah, I guess in certain circumstances that works, but in others, you know, I'll listen to some podcasts and they'll ask a question. And uh, so have you ever been to an award ceremony? And they'll go, well, I've won two Oscars. <laughs> You know, it's like Google these people for Christ's sake. Yeah, there's you know? there's a line between show prep and over prepping so that you know the answers. You know, if you read somebody's whole Wikipedia and you know every single answer before they utter it, right. uh, then it's not fun for you. And you, you know, it, you're almost like a puppeteer. You know, you know, or rehearsing in a play. It's not it's not a, a spontaneous conversation. Right. Um, I think that it's good to have basic knowledge of who it is you're talking to. And certainly if you're a reporter doing specialty work, you need to prepare and background yourself, um, context and content, you know, so that the content can be put into context so it makes sense for people. Um, The bottom line is that there's no one right way to do any of this stuff. It's like writing a love song. There's a billion love songs that have been written. There's no right or wrong way, and it's all the same story. Right. So you have to really look at where are your strengths. And if you like to talk to people and you like to learn things, um, the, the interview can be a journey of discovery. If you want to learn things and then go to sort of another level where you're expanding on those things, then prep as much as you want. But it's really different for different people. And I think Larry King did have that every man, you know, I haven't read the book. I don't know who you are. Talk to me about yourself. And that uh, sit, sitting next to somebody on an airplane or meeting them at a cocktail party, you know, what do you do and why is it interesting? And what's the most interesting thing about the work you do? Suddenly you have a basis for conversation. Right. So what happened that night in the bar? How many vodkas did you have? And uh, <laughs> what did you and the guy do after uh, the bar? I think huh? I think we were working with morning shows. So I think when you get up at three in the morning, you don't do much that uh, night. You know? <laughs> All right, then I'm going to drop that. Yeah. Bad. Uh, how important is the voice itself? For a long time in radio, you just like if you wanted to be a basketball player, you had to be six foot six and right. you had to be able to reach the basket. Uh, for a long time in radio, the voice was very important. And I have many colleagues that I worked with who have the most beautiful voices on the planet. I mean, Charlie Van Dyke and people that I had the opportunity to work with. Right. But then... It's also content is so much more important today. Uh, We like beautiful voices, but I've also heard a lot of beautiful voices that have nothing to say and they never get ratings. And sometimes people who have terrible voices, but they're interesting and they have something to say, they'll get huge ratings. So it's really content. It's what you say, it's how you say it. And it's, is it relevant, doesn't matter. Do you care about what you're talking about and can you get the audience to care? That matters more than the voice. And I think probably more so in podcasting because 
Yeah, radio, there is a certain, I don't know, polish that doesn't exist in an awful lot of podcasts. So you can get away with a voice like this. You have, you have a fine voice and you're a <laughs> fantastic you. professional, very, very polished sports uh, <laughs> sports radio guy. And and also, I have to say, talk radio host, too. You do a wonderful job. I no, mean, we thank had, you. It was we fun had, doing talk radio. We had Ken fill in for Mary Lou Henner, uh, which is how we met. Right. And right. we hired you to do that. And he did a beautiful job because Mary Lou was doing a show that was kind of part talk radio, but also she had a real Hollywood, deep Hollywood background. Right. And she interviewed a lot of celebrities. And Ken Levine was the perfect person because you had a foot in both worlds. You're a professional broadcaster and you've had the Hollywood success. So you had this combination, this constellation of, of things that was just so perfect for that situation. I really appreciated it. Oh, my pleasure. She's the easiest guest, by the way, to ever interview because she has this bizarre memory where she can remember every lunch and every dinner she ever had in her life. So if you interview her, all you got to do is just say October 3rd, 1982, (laughs) September 15th, 1991, and she'll just tell you her lunch. It's great. So podcasting is really starting to take off. Talk a little bit about, uh, about podcasting and sort of where it is and where people think it might be going. It's our new canvas. I mean, I'm as excited about podcasting as anything because we have a new canvas to work with, audio on demand. And what's happening is that uh, podcasts are turning into television series, podcasts are turning into movies, movies are turning into podcasts. It's one more thing, you know, that's, excuse me, that's really making uh, a, a canvas and a place for us to make our art. So whether it's produced, scripted, talk radio you can do anything you want in a podcast so it's exciting now most podcasts though have listenerships of like 10 <laughs> you know so the the one issue that that i have is you know it's it's hard to like build an audience you know, okay. there's a lot of podcasts <clears throat> yeah. out there there's a lot of product and it's just like a garage band the, the barriers to entry are down anyone can be a podcaster but what we found, and this I think came out of Edison Research, most people stop after producing 10 because it's hard oh. and it's work. Most people, like 80% of the people who start a podcast, stop after 10 episodes. We're close to 100 here. Okay, yeah. because you're a broadcaster and you understood the work. Yeah. You knew what the work would be when you're interviewing people. Right. Uh, a lot of people who think it sounds like fun uh, by the fourth, fifth, sixth, episode understand it's editing it's not it's a lot of work um to grow an audience there are whole um you know books about this and we talk a little bit about it in my book um if you can piggyback on somebody else's parade so if you're on a radio station and you do a podcast, talk, send listeners to your podcast from your radio station. Right. If you're a guest on other people with podcasts, cross-promote one another. If you have a product or a service that you use and you discuss it in your podcast, make sure that they know about it and they can forward tweets and anything you can do, particularly through social media, to get people to have an awareness of your podcast and then use your own social media to do it and develop it. Yeah. That's why I'm on Instagram, people. Uh, And finally, the state of radio. Now, people who know me know how much I loved radio and how much it distresses me to see the state that radio is in now. And it seems to me that, and we're very close, 
once you get to a point where you can easily access internet radio stations in the car, then, you know, some guy in Kalamazoo has a bedroom radio station that is just as valuable as WABC in New York if more people listen to him. So it seems to me that it's the also the responsibility of, of WABC in New York to do a good job so that you can kick the pants off of right. you know Bernard in the basement right. in Cincinnati. But when WABC know. has 19 minutes of commercials that becomes very difficult. In terms of the state of terrestrial radio, uh, do they even want to fix it? Because it seems like some of the problems are so obvious that they're mortgaging their future. They're running 19 minutes of commercials on the weekend. Uh, I, I was hosting Dodger Talk on KABC in Los Angeles, big L.A. radio station, and uh, my lead-in was Colon Blow. What? was an infomercial infomercial for colon blow. Uh, it seems like radio is just like lemmings going off the hill if they're going to keep doing that. Uh, it Greed is the reason. So consolidation and people trying to squeeze every, you know, it, it's, I have a friend who has an expression, smart, smart, dumb, where they tried to get the quick money with consolidation. And what they did was they didn't just cut the fat, they cut the bone. And when they cut the heart and the bone, uh, it's never a winning situation. That being said, there are radio stations, mostly independently owned, public radio stations. Love public radio. You know, and I work a lot with public radio. I train all the time with different local public radio stations. Love public radio. And they're doing storytelling. They're holding up a mirror reflecting life. They're involved in the community. They're doing everything radio should be doing. I think things move in cycles. We are having a technological shift, the likes of which the world has never seen. But to answer your question, do you really care if it comes out of a traditional speaker or if the radio comes through the fillings in your teeth, if it's funny, interesting, and it takes you on a journey and you meet characters you care about and you get new information and you get inspired, do you care about the the delivery system? And that's really the question. So you're talking about a delivery system that's been in place for 80, 90 years, maybe even 100 years, and now we're we're moving forward and there are new delivery systems. But I can remember um, I was helping a friend clean out her 100-year-old aunt's estate and I found some variety and billboards from the 1950s. And one of the film directors had written an editorial about what's going to happen now that television is going to be playing the movies. Uh, all the movies are going to go away because right. TV is free and it's going to you know, usurp film. Right. And it didn't. No. And movies did what they did best, big and small really big stories and really small stories and TV did what it did best, which was live and fun and, you know, lots of news. And it, it really had a whole different, uh, it found a niche. And I think with radio, we've, there's been a death knell for radio for a very long time. But what's also true is that audio media, the imagination, hearing a story in your headphones, late at night, pushing a black box when you feel alone and you don't feel alone anymore, those things are never going to change. Okay. But the delivery system may. And to me, the thing that's really missing is the shared experience. You know, I talk about 
being a kid going to the beach in L.A., and you would hear Vin Scully calling a Dodger game as if he was on a public address system, you know, because as you walked across the beach, right. everybody, everybody had, had a transistor yep. radio, and you heard it, and it was a, a shared experience. And if Wally Moon hit a home run, you heard all this cheering. But you still have it. I mean, if you go on Facebook during a game, during a game on Facebook, your friends will be posting, oh, yeah, I can't yeah. believe he hit, you know. And, yeah, that's true. You know, life is no longer good. He missed the ball. Yeah. You know, you'll, we hate Joe Buck. There you yeah, go. Yeah. That's it. The Joe Buck right. thing was yeah. huge. So, you know, you'll see it. The The interactive connectedness is there. It's just finding different ways to get, to, to emerge. Well, I love the fact that podcasts have emerged because I love the fact that I can do this and there's no program director saying, shut up, just play the records. Well, it's, and look, you're extremely talented and your writing is, I mean, I read your column and there are days when I'm kind of in a bad mood and I read your column and I will laugh out loud. And that is such a gift, you know, and you are a funny man. And the thing about it is whether your humor is, is studied where you think about it or if it's spontaneous and it comes up instantly, it doesn't matter because you're a brand of Ken Levine. So you have the blog, you have the podcast, you're a radio host, you have lots of ways that people can connect with you. And I think that's also the future. There isn't going to just be one way. It's not just Ken announcing the Dodgers. It's Ken with the column, Ken with the, you know, the, the podcast. And I think that's the future. I'm a cottage industry. There you go. Okay. Uh, you wrote a great book called Beyond Powerful Radio, A Communicator's Guide to the Internet Age. Valerie, thank you so much. This has really been fun. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Okay, that will do it for this week. Good advice, wouldn't you say? Our thanks to Valerie Geller. Also thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler and to Howard Hoffman. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine. If you want to email me, easily done, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Again, that's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. And remember, you know, I, I, I need to build an audience, so I need those five-star reviews. I really would appreciate it. Again, I don't know what they do for me, but apparently they really help. And again, uh, Valerie's book is called Beyond Powerful Radio, A Communicator's Guide to the Internet Age. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>